WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Charlotte's new city council is now set. Tuesday's election didn't come away with any real surprises or big upsets. Mayor Vi Lyles easily winning her race wasn't even close there. Democrats won all the city's councils uh, at large seats as they have for years now. Dipolish Mayor Braxton Winston will hold on to their seats with two familiar but new faces. James Smudgy Mitchell as well as Lawana Mayfield back on city council after a break. The closest race of the night though District 6. Take a look at this one. Republican incumbent Tark Bakari edging out Democrat Stephanie Hand by just a few votes was a close one. We'll talk to him coming up in just a few minutes, but first. Joining us now, the night's top vote getter, Charlotte City Councilwoman Dimple Ajamira. Dimple, thanks for coming on, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. Uh, so because of the calendar, you, you all have a one-year term, basically one year and I think a couple of months. Um, realistically, what can get done in that time? What do you think should be council's priority? Certainly constituent services is our number one priority and just being available, being accountable. We have a lot going on. As you know, we got the UDO, which will be uh, obviously currently scheduled for this council. However, it's a living and breathing document that's going to be a blueprint for how Charlotte grows for decades to come. And there will be some changes uh, that might come after it's adopted. So certainly there is a lot that we have to continue to keep an eye on and monitor the progress on unified development ordinance. We got to fix our transportation issues, especially reliability issues and efficiency issues with cats. And then we got, um, we got to continue to deliver on affordable housing, address crime in our city and infrastructure projects. Um, you, you mentioned the, the UDO. Um, I know you all are supposed to uh, vote on that coming up uh, in, in just a, a few weeks. Um, but I, I, help us understand, because I know you guys are supposed to vote. I know it was, it's been a very narrow vote um, the last time th this issue has come up. So um, can you say, will it pass coming up in a few weeks? I know that staff is continuing to work through changes that's been requested by the community, council members, and uh, business community. So at this point, it's all about staff uh, delivering on the promise. Obviously, we are not going to make everyone happy, and that's not the goal here, but it's to make sure that majority of the council agrees. And I think that's what staff is currently doing. They're working through some of the changes to ensure that majority of the council is on board. Are you a yes? Well, as of right now, I have some changes that I'm working through with our uh, staff, uh, but certainly I'm supportive of the UDO document. I was one of the supporters for the 2040 plan, but there are several changes that need to be made. So staff is working through those changes. What, what are the changes you're wanting? Obviously, we have some changes uh, that we are working through in terms of green space, open space, addressing displacement, so there are several changes uh, that are needed to be made before the council, uh, well, at least before um, uh, to address majority of the council's concerns. Do you think it could pass, but pass with caveats that, that, that you all are hoping to go back and 
either change something or do more in the new council? I mean, that's a possibility because as I said, Ben, this is a living and breathing document. This is not just one-time process. We are gonna have to continue to update the UDO. There might be unintended consequences, which we might find out later. So we should be open-minded about making some of those changes later on after that's adopted. I want to talk about you and your and your ambitions um, as the top vote getter. Oftentimes, that person is mayor pro tem. I don't think there's anything in the rules that say that's what happens. Um, I know in the past there's been a few dust ups about whether or not that, that person really should be mayor pro tem or not. Um, do do you for one want to be mayor pro tem, and for two, do you think you should be mayor pro tem? Yes, I am interested in being a mayor pro tem. Traditionally, top vote getter uh, is mayor pro temp like you said and that's just been a tradition but that's also uh, what charlatans decided right there is a reason uh, charlatans uh, said you know we want this person to be the top vote getter and um, who will who will serve as our mayor pro tem uh, you came in with a, a class of uh, city council members a few years ago um, the sort of the, the new millennial council um, <laughs> and came in with a lot of fanfare, a lot of photo shoots, uh, a, a lot of coverage in, in uh, shows like this and in the newspaper and things like that. Um, but it seems like th there's been more gridlock in recent years. Do you think that's the product of good, robust conversation and debates or, or do you think that that is uh, a problem and a problem that needs to be fixed? Ben, I don't think there is a gridlock, to be honest. I mean, look at what council has successfully delivered. We delivered on $50 million affordable housing bond referendum. We delivered multi-million dollars in relief program to keep people in their homes, especially during pandemic. We delivered millions of dollars in business risk relief to ensure that our businesses not just thrive, but survive through difficult times. And we delivered on increased investments in our infrastructure, especially bike lanes, sidewalks. We went from 15 to $50 million in biking infrastructure, sidewalks, I mean, sidewalks infrastructure. All of that was accomplished without any property tax increase. I think that's all something we should all be proud of. But as an organization, obviously, we are going to have different personalities. So it's time to set aside our differences and personality uh, differences and just work towards one goal, and that is to deliver on the promises that we had all made to Charlotteans. The other big thing you guys are going to be talking about in the next council is you know, expanding the, the current transit system and uh, mobility issues. Um, but they see the current issues with cats and they say, wait a second, cats isn't handling what it has right now. How are we possibly going to add a, a silver line or a red line or or must more bus routes when we can't handle the current bus routes? Well, Ben, I share those concerns. I share concerns around reliability and effectiveness of our cats and uh, Currently, there is a comprehensive review of the department that is underway, as you probably know. We have hired a third-party consulting firm to do a comprehensive review and to, to actually give us uh, recommendations on what can be done, and that includes our leadership. And 
city manager, city attorney, and city clerk reports to the city council. A cat's it's a direct report of city manager. They don't report to the city council. So we have to work through this council manager form of government, we have to work through our city manager to hold our CATS leadership accountable. All right, Dimple Jamera, the, the top voter uh, in the city council races this, this past week. Dimple, thank you as always, we appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ben, for having me. I really appreciate it. And Spencer, great seeing you virtually. <laughs> That's right, uh, Spencer, our producer. Uh, Dimple, thanks, we appreciate it. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Joining us now, the one Republican to win on Tuesday, Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari. Um, all right, Tark, um, so you, you barely squeaked, squeaked by on this. What is, what is your takeaway from what was admittedly a, a narrow win? Well, it was, a, a, it was an incredibly narrow win. I walked into that night in my mind thinking I could, I could lose even. So um, it wasn't some kind of shocker. My big takeaways uh, really are... are threefold one we put in just this herculean effort and this republican slate that i've been working with that i handpicked for over a year they did an amazing job it sucked that they lost but at the end of the day we have a bench for the future with them um the second one now back into to, to my race specifically is um i think that the the democrats put up quite frankly the greatest uh, candidate that they could have run against anyone in District 6. And she was not just legit and smart and a hard campaigner, but deeply connected into the Methodist faith community of District 6. So she came in with a constituency. I didn't, they couldn't have even invented someone that perfect. Uh, and I think the world of her, and she did a lot herself there, not to mention all of the Democrats were focused on one district from the mayor on down. It was the only thing they spent money and focused on. But then number three, and I think this can't go overlooked, and I think it's something I've been self-reflecting on a lot, uh, is the role I've had to play for the last three years. Ben, you remember on our first term, two years, millennials high-fiving, cutting ribbons. Our biggest controversies were, should we uh, live stream council meetings? Um, then we got elected in 2019, which is the last time I've been tested. Uh, and um, and then essentially the month after the pandemic starts and that leads to the economic recovery efforts and the the, the protests to the, the riots to um, the, uh, you know, throwing the police under the bus and and abolishing single family zoning. The role I've had to play through that, whether I like it or not, has been the counter voice. And I, that hurt me with definitely Democrats and potentially some unaffiliateds that uh, that, you know, saw that and hopefully I don't have to be that going forward. Speaking of that, I want to talk about that because you, you, you said to the observer that, that you became public enemy number one. Do you view that as a badge of honor or is this something you're going to have to work on because you got to run again in a year if you want to win? Well, I, I said a public enemy number one. Just to be clear, I don't think I'm like the number one public enemy of, of, of the world here. But, um, I you know, part of me views it as a badge of honor in that I stood up and, and spoke for what I needed to and people got mad at that. Um, so I, I'll never, ever um, be ashamed of that. But a, a lot of me, you know, I, you get caricatured in this world. And I, I am not, that's not who I am. Am I loud and excited and passionate about things? Do I go hard at stuff? Absolutely. But I'm not a bomb thrower. And people who really work with me know I, I'm 90% behind the scenes working. What you see just seems like a carnival barker. But that's kind of the last resort that I've reached. So it is something I'm deeply self-reflecting on. The observer endorsement when they say, you know, he's, you know, a little bit of this, it, it, it makes me introspective to say, 
that's not who I want to be. It's who I was forced to be. So I do hope I, uh, I have an opportunity to play a different role this next term. Uh, before the new uh, council's even sworn in on the 6th of September, you guys got to vote on the UDO. It was narrow already. Where do things stand? Uh, you ran on this. Um, where do things stand uh, as we go to that vote a few weeks from now? I, I, the two things I'd mention here are I've kind of reserved my mind that I'm not giving any barn burner speeches for this. I have done everything I tried to do to make the outcome I thought was right happen. And that led all the way up to me sending tens of thousands of dollars of mail and communications to this community saying, this is your referendum. You, you have a chance to vote one person in on the slate and then we can we can stop this. That didn't happen. So as much as I hate it, I'm going to view that as the community's voice has spoken here and and, and I'm going to vote no, but move on. But now there's some new uh, drama um, uh, rising up that I've been hearing about where um, a certain council member has raised their hand that uh, certain aspects around tree save and around hardscaping and the rules there, uh, if that doesn't change and it's against what a lot of the professional community has said that they would want to happen, and at this 11th hour, if that doesn't change, there, there'd be a no vote of one that was yes and you know that narrow margin. I mean, the tw if this doesn't pass on the 22nd, this does not pass in its form with single-family zoning. So I'll be watching intently, obviously. Uh, so going to be watching that closely. Um, what, what, do you think that uh, Dimple Ajmera should be the mayor pro tem? You all vote on this. Traditionally, uh, it's the top vote-getter, uh, which would be Dimple. Um, but there's no rules, I don't think, saying that it has to be. What's your take on this? Yeah. First and foremost, myself and my other Republican colleague that make up the super minority, our opinion doesn't matter unless the Democrats don't agree. So let's say that first and foremost, if I think she should or shouldn't, doesn't matter. Uh, I personally don't think she should. I just, I've worked with her and by her for five years. She has matured uh, incredibly in how she's directly correlated herself with, uh, with the voters and the public and the media. Uh, but behind the scenes, I know what it takes to be a good mayor pro tem, and, and I know how she operates and works behind the scenes. And I just, for what we've gone through the last three years, I'm not exactly sure that's what um, the the order of the day needs to be for that. But again, that's for the Democrats to decide. You you, um, you mentioned there's going to be two of you on council as far as Republicans go. Uh, you're going to have a year to get stuff done. How confident are you that that you all, despite your your super minority, as you said, can, can work with Democrats in this next year uh, to get stuff done. I, I, I go in hopeful, but highly skeptical because one, it's a short time frame. Um, there's really a year before campaign start starts less than a year. So um, that's that's when the work has to be done. And if you look at what we know is on the horizon that will be controversial, it's the UDO. And that's happening before theoretically before the new council sworn in. Uh, but beyond that, there's nothing else real that we know of. Um, the transformational mobility network, it's in no um, imminent danger of being voted on or even discussed as a real option. Um, so, so now we're looking at what I hope the case is, which is let's get back to that first term in 2017 where it's just more standard municipal topics that aren't partisan, that aren't controversial, that we can do better in. And and if we can do that and we aren't throwing any curveballs, uh, you know, like the protests and, and like the pandemic, and we don't create any of our own crises like we did with the UDO, you know, we could have, be in an in a, in a opportunity here where things are smoother and we're doing the work and everyone's calm 
calmed down from a really brutal, brutal, brutal three years. Uh, quickly, one question. Uh, what do you think should be council's priority? Um, I think council's priority should, should it's a really tough one because there's so many burning priorities. I think it, it has to be public safety though, because that's the one where you can, you can get proactive things right all up and down your priority list. But if, if public safety is there and it's rotting a, a, a hole through the, through the core of your city, you're in bad shape. So I think we, we would need to focus on police morale. We have measurements. We understand where it's at and it's not, it's not where it needs to be. Homicides over 60 already, you know, violent crimes. Everything is not good. Homelessness right now. If you go to Woodlawn and, and uh, South, there's a new encampment right there to shut down gas station. Uh, we can approach these things with empathy, but with resolve, but it's just going to take the will to do it. And I think that has to be our top priority. All right, Tark Bakari, District 6 Council member, council member uh, going for his third term now, uh, coming up in just a few weeks, starting in September. Tark, thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Miss you, Larkin. <laughs> That's right. Larkin Eggleston, typically uh, your compadre uh, on these appearances. All right, Tark, thanks. We appreciate it. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. A WCNC Charlotte, where's the money investigation found FEMA is withholding more than $2 million from Mecklenburg County. That money was supposed to reimburse the money spent on hotels during the height of the pandemic. The hotels were used to keep infected people out of shelters and the spread of COVID at bay. However, one in particular was hardly used. The county spent months trying to convince the federal government to release those funds. But as WCNC Charlotte's Nate Morbido discovered, there's a chance county taxpayers will now have to cover the cost. Turns out we weren't the only ones questioning just how few people stayed at the now closed $300,000 a month quarantine hotel. County records show FEMA was already asking questions as far back as September. There's no doubt this hotel helped people like Aaron Hall. This desk is kind of where I spend most of my time. A man who tested positive for COVID-19 and had nowhere else to go. I literally thought I was going to be just like living on the street for a little while. Sparing the community additional risk of infection. But as WCNC Charlotte discovered in April, the 120 room Econo Lodge averaged just 68 guest stays a month over the course of 21 months, leaving citizens against government waste critical of the program. Taxpayers need to be more demanding about getting results for the money that they are spending. In the face of that criticism, no. Health Director Dr. Raynard Washington told us in May he wasn't concerned FEMA would withhold any reimbursements for its $14.7 million pandemic hotel program. I don't know where the concern came from, but I think uh, every you know city and county really across the country has uh, had to take a similar approach. And I, um, I fully anticipate that FEMA will be reimbursing those expenditures as they have been doing up until this point. But newly obtained county records show FEMA hasn't reimbursed all of those expenses. At least $2.1 million in reimbursements remain pending. And that's not counting the millions more the county still needs to request. This as FEMA has on multiple occasions raised questions over occupancy at the county's pandemic hotels. Now that the $2 million impasse is public knowledge, a spokesperson told us it was Mecklenburg County's clear understanding from FEMA that each of the expenses would be reimbursed fully, but then later learned after the fact FEMA would only cover the costs for occupied rooms. 
Remember, this hotel was far from 100% occupied. The county doesn't plan on backing down, meeting FEMA reps in hopes of securing full reimbursement, contending the agency's position is not in keeping with FEMA's published policies. Nor does it make sense that the county could not procure sufficient space on an as-needed basis to isolate certain COVID-positive people. I don't think that's ever a waste of money. While the emergency shelter provided a priceless service for people like Aaron Hall, FEMA told WCNC Charlotte the agency must ensure all claimed costs are necessary and reasonable and meet eligibility and other federal requirements. A final decision is now likely weeks away. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. Come interact with me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If there's something you want us to cover here on Flashpoint, let us know. And we'll see you back here next weekend.